Pigs Head Breakdown, Coulter Nuanez. As always, you can find this podcast, SkylineSportsMT.com. A bit of a consolidated Big Sky Breakdown today because usually we're giving you one analysis podcast, one interviews podcast, but Montana State has a bye. They prepare for a showdown against Eastern Washington this upcoming weekend, November 6th, so not the 30th of October, the first Saturday of November. Eastern Washington also has a bye leading into that game. Montana coming off of a victory at Idaho. They host Southern Utah. Montana State, by the way, coming off a 27-9 victory over Idaho State. The Grizzlies took down the Vandals 34-14 in Moscow. In this Big Sky Breakdown, we hear from Ty Gregorak, longtime assistant coach and great Big Sky Conference analyst about the state of the program for both Montana and Montana State. Also here from Brooks Duana, SkylineSportsMT.com. Then we have a few interviews for you. Demario Warren, head coach of Southern Utah, his last time making an appearance on the Big Sky Breakdown as a Big Sky Conference coach, likely unless there's some sort of weird crossover towards the end of the year. But Southern Utah on their way out of the Big Sky, heading to the WAC, and uh, it's been a pleasure getting to know Coach Warren and uh, interviewing him as many times as we have, but fun to have him around and uh, sad to see him leave. But Southern Utah heading to the WAC, which I think is probably a better fit for them anyways. We'll also hear from Montana wide receiver Mitch Roberts and Montana head coach Bobby Houck. The Big Sky Breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications. Thanks to Blackfoot for all of your podcast support. Go check out Grizz Greats, the 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champion Grizzlies. Check out Catching Up with the Cats, a podcast series remembering some of the best Bobcats from the recent history of MSU football. You can also check out Nuanez Now, the archival of my daily sports talk radio show, it's broadcast on ESPN Missoula as well as SWX Montana Television. And of course, you can always find the Big Sky Breakdown. Thanks to Blackfoot for their support in all of those podcasting endeavors. Also, thanks so much to Alpine Touch. Alpine Touch, we got a sweet giveaway going on, collaboration between Skyline Sports and ESPN Missoula. We got a Traeger smoker, a year supply of Alpine Touch, and a beef box for Paymaker Beef. We also got a cooler, an otter box, and a grill from Twisted Tea. You want any of that? Here's how you enter. Subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to the Nuanas Now podcast. Follow us on YouTube for both Nuanas Now and Skyline Sports. Also, follow Alpine Touch, Haymaker Beef, and ESPN Missoula on Instagram. Once you do that and you're all entered in, text our ESPN studio line, 888-1029. That's 406-888-1029. Tell us you have done all of those things. We'll back check it. And then the week of the Bobcat Grizzly football game, that's November 20th is the date of the game. We'll be giving two lucky winners those awesome prize packs. You can also go to alpinetouch.com to spice up your life. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Without further ado, Big Sky Breakdown, Ty Gregorak coming at you. Coach, right before we got started, we're talking about how crazy this college football season is, and it absolutely has been crazy across the board. We saw at the FCS level, Eastern Washington, the number two team in the country, go down. Montana has lost as a top five team already this year. But then you look at the FBS ranks, and this is nothing surprising, or I guess nothing outside the norm of what is a completely crazy year so far. We've seen top five teams of the FBS ranks, including teams like Alabama, Penn State. Everybody's losing this year. It's crazy uh, to see, but I think that the, the, maybe the pandemic created even more parity in college football. What say you? Well, I, I think you're exactly right. It's uh, it has been a wild year and a half, and I think the you know starting from a year ago when when certain teams couldn't play on a Saturday, certain conferences didn't play at all. Uh, the shortened season, the spring season for FCS, it's it has been a wild fall, and it is it is week in week out. Um, 
you know, the next level, you, you know, there's basically one team that you can kind of hold in the, you know, the Alabama reverence of, of the last few years where we're top to bottom, they look like the team beat, and that's Georgia, you know, and it's like everybody else. I mean, Oklahoma is undefeated. They're good, but obviously beatable. Um, Alabama's, you want to think they're still Alabama, but they're obviously beatable and have been beat. Um, just a wild year. You know, you see Penn State, who who at one point looks like, you know, potentially one of the best teams in the Big Ten. Now they've dropped two, uh, one to Purdue, and then obviously this one this last week, I tell you, one of the biggest games in the country, and I have no idea what game day is doing, but what a what a fantastic game Michigan Michigan State is lined up to be. The job Mel Tucker's done uh, in such a short time at Michigan State, and then obviously you know Khaki Dockers and uh, Khaki Pants guy who took a you know zillion dollar slash in his pay cut just to remain the head coach at Michigan there, and Jim Harbaugh. What a, what a what a fantastic Saturday that's going to be. I mean, I know everybody talks about you know the big game um, at the end of the year between Ohio State, but this one this one's got a ton of implications this week uh msu versus michigan so it's been fun as a fan i mean like like you and i were talking before and what you mentioned uh just when you think that nobody can beat Eastern Washington, Weaver State, who had kind of been struggling in the week before, lost a tight game at home to Montana State. They go up to Ch- to Cheney, in, in which they're averaging over 600 yards and and uh, over 50 points a game, and, and and play one heck of a good game. And what a rebound game for them, coming off uh, you know a couple couple few tough weeks. And that, next thing you know, the the big skies. I don't want to say wide open again, but boy, the, the it's going to be a fun finish for sure. One thing I want to ask you about is that, particularly for the Montana schools, there is a lot of media attention. There's a lot of exposure. There's a lot of narrative going around. I mean, we talk about it all the time on my radio show, on this podcast. I mean, there's lots of people engaged in all this stuff. And so there's sort of this consensus belief about how games are going to go. And in the Big Sky this year, there's, I think, six playoff caliber teams and seven not even close to playoff caliber teams. So I I guess my question is, you've been a, a part of this for a long time as a coach. So when you have a an opponent on the schedule that's coming to town. Let's say you have a home game against a team that's like one and five or one and six. You're expected to win. Everybody in the community, everybody in the state is talking about it. How hard is that to get your guys to not believe that? There's a certain sense of that for sure. Um, but I, I think the the proof is kind of in the pudding when you just look around the league. Uh, you know, UC Davis, which which sits essentially at the top at seven and one. Um, you know, with 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 the one league loss, they can get beat by Idaho State. You know, so it, it's just I think you're always kind of you know the, the the proverbial bullet board bulletin board material. You know, it's like hey guys, anybody can beat anybody on any given Saturday. There there's certain teams that absolutely should never beat you on a Saturday, but if you don't if you don't play your best game and if you don't come prepared to play all 60 minutes you can be beaten so i think that's what as a coach you're just always trying these guys are 18 to 23 year old guys and you got to keep them focused and you know stay the course and you know you're not going to maybe play your best but get out of there with a win you're not going to maybe play your best and then obviously lose to potentially an inferior opponent so you're just the coach speak is real um that's one of the things and you and i've talked about it in the last few weeks one of the things that's so impressive right now about montana state is you know, all the different excuses one could make with coaching changes in varsity and not going through a spring at all you know, or, or a spring season, even, you know, playing a couple games. They've done a really good job of just staying focused and, 
you know, and, and shoot, they're, I mean, you look at, look at them right now, they're sitting right, right at the top of, of the league right now in standing. So I just think as a coach, you're, you know, one of your main objectives week in, week out is to keep your guys focused and it's a long season. And, you know, this, this is the time of year where, I mean, you really are separating um, the boys from the men and, and it's, it's time to finish now. So it's, it's something you're always harping on, on kids just to, to stay focused and keep doing what they're doing and trying to not to necessarily maintain, but, you know, keep getting better every week if that's possible. One thing Brooks and I were talking about last week is the personal element of this. In other words, like anybody that's ever gone to college, you know, as the semester progresses, the classes get harder. The tests get harder. You have finals. I think a lot of people forget that these guys are in school. They're there for school first and foremost. So when you're coaching, I mean, how do you keep that in perspective? You know, because you want these guys to do well on all their tests and stuff, but there might be a day where a guy has a big final the day before a big football game, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, listen, unless you've been through the fire as, as a, as a student athlete or a coach or both, you just, you don't have any idea how much time, effort, energy, passion, everything that goes into this deal. Um, these guys are young men. I mean, and, and depending on the program, I mean, it, it, it should still be student athlete and in that order. I mean, these guys are here to get an education and, and uh, you know, their academic lives and their social lives. And there's so much to going into, you know, this time of life. And they're, they're going from high school boys to college men and, you know, men into the future and the workforce and life. So, you know, I think like, like just talking about the cats, you know, hopefully, I mean, what, what a nice time of year to get a buy, honestly. And, and what a nice time to get a buy after another win. I mean, shoot, they've won seven in a row since, since Wyoming. So you, you would think you would hope that uh, Coach Vegan and staff are um, kind of getting their bodies right, getting their minds right. I would imagine there, there's an element of uh, some recruiting stuff that coaches will probably get out of out of uh, Bozeman here in the next uh, few days. They'll probably have a practice, or you know, probably have a few practices. Basically, say, hey, you know, guys, you know, see, see Rob Higgs in the training room. Get healthy, get freshened up, because we know in in uh, you know 12 days or whatever that we're going to go to one of the best teams in the league right now. So it it, it, it is what you're saying is exactly right, though. I mean, there's a fine line, and you just got to always remember that these are young men. And they've got a lot on their plate. And I think the average fan doesn't maybe always recognize or understand how much these guys got going in their lives other than what they get to go see for a few hours on Saturdays. You mentioned something else, too, that I think is a very good point. You know, with the coaching change at Montana State, there there's an opportunity, there's an open door there for explaining things away or a bunch of excuses or anything, but they have not done any of that. That's actually one thing I've been impressed with. I mean, Brett Vegan is nowhere near as entertaining as Jeff Choate. I think his steady hand is, is pretty impactful, and uh, it's not ever hedging his bets and setting up all the scenarios for why the team might not have success or, you know, I've seen this so many times in so many different versions from so many different head coaches, and the media usually eats it up because it's more content it's more of a conversation and all that but montana state hasn't done that and to montana's credit they have not done that either you know that working for bobby Alk for a long time uh, you either play well and you win or you don't <laughs> and that's it and coach Alk, he's very uh steadfast and, and pretty dry about it but uh, that actually is one thing that i appreciate is there's not been a lot of scene setting and excuse making and hedging of bets and all that it's just been pretty straightforward on both sides of this thing so far it is and uh you got to 
you got to appreciate that a little bit um, with what's going on in the state. I mean, obviously, Montana State is a little bit more in the driver's seat right now. But again, there's still a lot of football to be played and they get to play each other. I do think I do think that, that without a question, you've got the two best defenses uh, in the conference right now in the state, which is awesome. It's kind of the way it's supposed to be, kind of the days of old. Um, but I mean, w- with what these two programs are doing defensively, uh, it's it's pretty awesome. And, and, and really, they're hanging their hat on good defense. It, you know, you, there's not a lot of, I mentioned the term bullet, bulletin board material. You're not going to get bulletin board material out of either of these head coaches uh, or, or, or their players. You can tell when you see, when, you, when, when the guys that are, are asked to do the press conference or selected to do the press conference, when you, when you listen to these young men, they really are a sounding board of their head coach. They talk like their head coach. They talk like their head coach when they were under choke. They talk like, you know, the message that Coach Vegan wants to get across, those the, those guys are, are telling, you know, you guys in the media and us as fans. And so I think I think both these outfits are, are pretty squared away. I mean, it's exciting to see where, where to go forward. Uh, again, like I said, a lot of, lot of football to be played. And, I mean, both, both schools, you know, both schools are sitting in, in the top, you know, top half of, of the league. They both have everything they want to accomplish to, still to play for. So it's going to be fun. Well, we'll first of talk about Montana because I actually have a question on the other side of the Montana win. Montana goes to Moscow, posts, posts a thirty-four to fourteen victory over the Vandals, seven in a row in the Little Brown Stein. They have not lost to the rival Vandals since two thousand, I guess since ninety-nine. So never in the twenty-first century. But here's my question for you, Ty, because I've been to the Kibbe Dome many times and I've seen games that were great games. I've seen great games in front of great crowds. Saturday they sold 6,000 tickets, and I know Montana sold 3,000. I know that from the athletic department. So you're talking about only 3,000 people from the Palouse went to watch Idaho. To me, that's unacceptable. I'm not blaming it on anybody. I just think that Idaho is a place where you should draw well. If you were good, I think you would. And I think that that's just a sign that you got your rival in town for an evening game and you not have anybody in the stands. I think that that's a, it's, it's a dire situation in Idaho right now. But I think personally that you could win at Idaho, and I think personally you could have the Kibbe Dome be a great venue if you just had any sort of success well you you know as well as i do um because i've heard you talk about it you know when you were growing up and all the great quarterbacks they had they had a really good thing going there 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 was some great years under some great head coaches even when they transitioned uh out of the big sky and in division one they had some you know they had bowl teams and, and i think you're exactly right i just think uh idaho is a is a good school it's kind of got its own little niche you know i know it's only eight or nine miles from washington state but it definitely attracts i'm from that area so i can say it i mean i had a lot of friends go to Washington State and Idaho because it's you know it's it's close to home and and it's fun it, man it's, I almost went there too my cousins went to Idaho I almost went to Idaho it was like a fun place to go right and, and so that's that's what's unfortunate for them is they used to have a really good thing going there and I think that I believe they can get it back I I, I do just because there's there's a ton of alum in that area and you know the recruiting base that they have right there was Spokane and then you know Seattle is, is close and, and the the amount of talent and athletes that come out of that area so I, I do believe that you know they 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 should be able to to put out a better product than they've been doing doing recently for sure this is going to sound crazy, but I actually think if and when they do move on from this current coaching staff, or at least this current head coach, I actually think it's the best job in the big sky for a moment in time because you have boundless optimism. Yeah, They've had no success at all since rejoining the big sky, so you have so much room for improvement. You have a good recruiting base. You have good tradition. You have good facilities. I just think that I'm not going to say it's ever going to be better than the Montana, Montana State Eastern established programs, but for a moment in time, I think it's one of the best jobs in the league because you have so much room to improve. 
Oh, I, I absolutely think it should be, in terms of fan base, I, I do think it should be the third best. And I think that it, it probably was at one point. You can understand, man. I mean, Eastern Eastern's going to draw well, you know, for, for a Montana, for a Montana State. Other than that, I mean, but buddy, you can go to playoff games there. Where oh, I've been to a dozen. Yeah, for sure. Top, top, top five in the country and they can't sell it out, you know. Now, if they can get some win and some, some mojo and some, some juice going back back at, in Vandalville, uh they absolutely will get excited about their program. I, I just think I don't think anybody in the Big Sky can can ultimately compete with the fan bases in in the Treasure State. I really don't. But that third place in my mind is absolutely uh, on the Palouse, or at least it should be, just because I think you know between you know the Weber fan pace. I mean, you've got you've got Utah and Utah State right there. You've got the Salt Lake City Jazz. You've got a lot of stuff going on. Eastern Washington. I mean Spokane. I mean there's a there's a a lot of alum right there, but ultimately it's a Zags town and a Washington State Cougar uh, football town. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. So I do believe that Idaho, you know, if they can get it rolling again, like you said, if if and when they make a coaching change, I mean, it, 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 it's apparent they probably need some new blood there uh, just because, you know, how, how long how long they've been back in the Big Sky now, Coulter? This is they've been back since 2018. They went uh, three and five, two and six, and now they're currently sitting at one and four. Okay. So yeah, so 18, that's right, because that was my last season in the league. So yeah, it's uh, they've struggled, you know, and you, you, just some of the things, I mean, penalty-wise, and just you see certain things and you go, boy, this, this outfit is, uh, they're really struggling just because they, they, they look so so undisciplined in so many ways. And again, it's too bad to say because I know a lot of guys on that staff, but they're just, they're, they're really struggling. They, you know, it's like they started, they started well, it's a good game, there's some back and forth, and next thing you know, Montana just puts the pedal down and it's not even close, so. Well, so much of it is just like you're saying, little errors, stupid penalties, or bad personnel moves of guys going in and out of the lineup. Or, you know, I guess what I'm saying is when I watch a lot of teams in the league, they're losing because they just don't have good players. They don't have good enough players. I'm not saying they don't have good players. Everybody that plays Division One football is a good player, but they don't have as many elite players as some of the top teams. Idaho has several elite players that would play for some of the top teams, but they just they have no modicum of execution, which is so strange to me. But I mean, I'm not sitting here trying to pile on to anybody or calling for anybody's job. At the end of the day, the proof's in the pudding. It's nine years under Paul Petrino, and they've won 33 games total. So, I mean, when you're winning at a 33% rate, I mean, you win one-third of your games for a decade-long sample size. I think that uh, that's about enough proof that an administration needs to, to maybe have some a fresh start. I can't agree more, and I got to tell you, I, 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 mean, I, I got to watch the game, and, you know, you, you can't tell me that – Robbie Houck and Jace Lewis and Marcus Wellnell and Patrick O'Connell. You can't tell me all these guys are any better athletes than what they've got under. They're good athletes. But you know what they do, Coulter? They play hard every play. And they play together, they, too. They execute. And they play together. And they're well coached. And you can tell that. And and so that, that, like that to me, is what pops out when you're just watching a ball game on TV. Like, those guys play hard. They chase the ball. They, they execute well. They play for each other. Just, just kind of the things you're saying. And you can see the team that absolutely does don't do that. And it's easy to see. It's easy to see, even for a novice football fan. No question, and it's very interesting too because like Luther Ellis seems to never run out of kids that are playing along that D line. His son, he could play anywhere, man. He played at Georgia, I think, maybe Auburn. I don't know. He played in the SEC. Trey Walker, the inside linebacker. I mean, that dude's a stud. He might get a look on Sundays. We got players, so uh, not to beat a dead horse here. Let's talk about the other side. Montana significantly improved. I thought their defense had their zip back, and I thought their offense put a put put Chris Brown in a position to succeed at a much higher level than they have been. And so I just thought it was a resurgence for Montana. We'll see if they can harness it moving forward but a lot of positives when you break down what the Grizz did on Saturday in Moscow 
There was, and you and I talked about it. I think one of the last things I said on the show last week was just expect for them to come out with an edge. And, um, you, you know, again, they're young men. The coaches kind of see it and feel it, and they, they rallied around each other. They went on the road, which is not easy to do, and they took care of business. I, I agree. that that They had some really nice plays in the run game, I thought. They did some great stuff um, with a young quarterback that, you know, they needed to do. And like you said, put, put him in position to go have some success. And, you know, that big, long receiver, he, he's fun to go watch, make plays. And they just they, they came out with an edge. And, uh, you know, you could still see some some issues with the, with the pocket but you know I mean there's going to be that in a game but no I mean you're right defensively they continue to impress I mean I think they're leading the league by far right now in rush defense which is phenomenal and um, they're not they're not a uh, they don't make a ton of foolish errors and, and they're not a high penal, penalized team so I mean again they I, I know they're going to probably look back at October and um I know they have one game to go in October. They're probably not going to love their October the way they did September, but if they can take care of business one more time in this month, set themselves up for you know a great, a great run in November. Which I mean, I I, th- I still think they're a good team, uh, a very good team. They're just you know with the two conference losses. Uh, hey, Coulter, there's a lot. There is a lot of football to still be played. A lot of things are going to to shake out if if they if they can continue to take care of business and, and and play the way they did on on Saturday. I know there's stuff to clean up. There's stuff in every game to clean up. There's stuff they're going, oh, we left that out there. And you know, I'm sure Coach Alex and shoot, we probably could have scored X amount of more points on them. But uh, no, I thought I thought they did exactly what they needed to do to do coming off of the week, really coming off the last, you know, two out of three weeks and really three weeks. They, they went out to me with an edge and, and played played really well on the road. So much of what they do defensively, too. Like They're not doing a lot of substitutions based on personnel. They're doing substitutions based on just staying fresh. And like their, their defense is trying to dictate everything rather than being dictated by the offense. So they're running what they're going to run. And so to me, defensively, just the ferocity that they play with, the aggression that they play with, having high energy, having you know high spirits, that to me is the key. And so I think if they can get to the point where they're playing with that ferocity, that aggression, and high spirits, playing together confidently, with take-no-prisoners attitude, they can get to that point by the end of the regular season that I still think this team could beat anybody in the country because I think they can overwhelm you so much that it just all it all comes down to do they have that snap and I saw the snap return on Saturday now can they harness that down the stretch into the stretch run into the playoffs no question and I I don't think that they lost I'm talking defensively I don't think they lost it I think Sacramento State came to town a couple weeks ago and had a great game plan and just played better that's true you understand Sac State Sac State's a good team I mean they've won four in a row now too so uh and they're and they're defending co-champs I mean um again I don't think they lost it I, I think they just they needed to kind of you know maybe maybe hey maybe they did need to get punched in the mouth a little bit and and and, and come back to reality just to scooch and then go have a great week of preparation and then go and then go play well you know which they did so they're still a really good defense I mean if you look statistically I've got to believe Montana Montana State are at the top or uh, you know in the top three or four in almost every defensive category I mean I know that Montana's getting a ton of sacks and Montana State is is uh, also I mean they're, they're giving up 10 points a game for 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 the lord's sake i mean 10 points a game right now going in the end of october that's fantastic so montana montana montana's still montana they got a good thing going they know what it's like to get to the playoffs they know what they need to do to get the playoffs i expect them to to keep that edge and, and continue to play well going into november
We'll talk about the Cats. I know you weren't at a game, but I'll give you the breakdown because to me, it was actually one of the most affirming things to one of my radio takes that I've ever had. I've been screaming and yelling about how Chase Benson is one of the best players in the league. He's the most important player on the Bobcat defense. Chase, unfortunately, tweaks his back before the uh, Idaho State game, he, so he's unavailable. And uh, I think Idaho State, they tried to take advantage of it. They ran the ball pretty effectively, way more than I thought they were going to. But also, with no Chase Benson, no Callahan O'Reilly, those are sort of the, the two primary inside guys on that defense and they let Troy Anderson roam free so much because all the dirty work they do but I mean Ty from your perspective how important is a guy that is a dominant inside player like Chase Benson and when he's not there how big of a falloff can that be for a defense? Oh it's huge I mean it's again defensive play uh, is about attitude effort energy but those guys up front now I mean they they're your bell cows. They're your war daddies. Those are the guys that make a defense go. And yeah, you lose a, you lose a guy like that. You will, uh, you will, you know, that, that's a big loss, you know, and hopefully they can get him healthy. Uh, you know, that being said, Montana state continued to take care of business defensively. I, I mean, I didn't get to watch the game. I was on a flight back from Texas, but I, I'm just so impressed with, with, with a couple things. One, their, their scoring average and what they're allowing opponents to get. And two, the third down defense, you know, which is something we kind of struggled with at the end and has really improved, uh, this last year and a half, couple of years, it, it, it's neat to see. Um, it's neat to see Troy go play well. Um, I know, I mean, just in reading and, and what I've seen and seeing highlights, I know that I, I, Isaiah continues to play well. And I think he's leading the league in rushing on an offense that continues to lead the league in offensive rushing. So, um, I mean, it, again, I'm, I'm really impressed with what, with what uh, Coach Vegan has got going right now and, and what a nice way to go into the bye, uh, coming off of seven straight victories and, and some tough road games. They've taken care of business at home, which which they should, um, you know, via uh, the schedule and, and the opponents that are coming. They won't be back at home, I think, until, shoot, it's going to be a couple weeks, a couple few weeks because they got the bye on the road in Cheney and then I, th- I believe they're home after that. So, it, it, they, what, what a season. I mean, what a season so far, a lot, lot left to play for, but I mean, they're, they're where, where a week ago I'm sitting there going, you know, the only one that truly controls its own destiny is Eastern Washington. Well, now, especially because they're going to play each other here in, in 12 days or whatever it is, that one, it won't be on ESPN2 National at midnight, but uh, that game's got huge conference championship implications now, which I think we kind of thought that it was going to, but but it, it sure has lined out perfectly, especially with MSU coming into the game with zero conference losses. I got to circle back around to Afonso because, uh, goddamn, man, he is just so tough. Like, the, Montana State has an, an element that no one else in the league has, and that's when, if your quarterback's melting down, Matt McKay did not play well in the first three quarters of that game. And they had no rhythm on offense. I thought Roger Cooper, the defensive coordinator for Idaho State, had a great plan. He had Montana State all sorts of crossed up. Bobcat receivers were dropping balls, and it looked like it was just going to be a long day for the Bobcat offense. But they were missing their right tackle in TJ Session. They moved Taylor Tuiasasopo out there. And when all else failed, this ran outside zone and let Isaiah Fonse put his hand right on number 51's back and ride him through the hole. And then when he gets through the hole, good night. Because I don't, I mean, there's nobody in the second or third level that wants to tackle number 22 on Montana State. I can't even think of really a guy he reminds me of because I think he's totally unique. I mean, I think he is one of the most unique and awesome running backs the league has seen. And uh, when you can just turn the ball or when you can just turn around and hand the ball to a guy that's going to get you 165 yards without much uh, help from anybody else on the offense, pretty big advantage. No question. And I've loved Isaiah uh, since he was in high school. I was fortunate enough to recruit him and, or, you know, help. Uh, that was my area that I recruited. And uh, he's just, and I've told you, and, and you know this, he plays bigger than he is. He's not a big guy, but he's got great balance. He's got great vision. And he, he really is a tough 
strong tailback. And uh, he, he, I think, you know, when it's all said and done, he's going to end up having a, an extremely nice career here. I don't know, you know, where he stands in, in terms of the record books and stuff. And I know he's, he's kind of fought on and off injuries over the last few years, but he's just a sound, steady 80 tailback for you. You know, he, he, he's, his ball security is excellent. Um, and just his story. I mean, his, his parents are, are from Africa. Uh, he lives with, or he lived with his mom in an apartment in Bellevue. And, and, and she, you know, she relocated so that he could go to an excellent school like Bellevue, uh, which has been a football powerhouse in Western Washington for a long, long time. And so just a fantastic story. Great kid, great work ethic. Uh, he's one of those, few, it's not a feel good story. Story, but it's a great story in that he's worked for everything that he's gotten. And, uh, you know, I, I can't remember who, who all, I think it was Idaho and maybe Weber State and maybe one of the academies. I want to say Wofford for, you know, Wofford and the style of offense. They, they were kind of giving him a sniff just because he was a great student. Um, but yeah, he was, uh, we were fired up to get him uh, some years back. Absolutely. He's a great player. Great kid. He'll be in the mix to be the all-time leading rusher for sure because he went over 3,000 yards this year, and I believe that the career rushing record is Ryan Johnson at uh, for Montana State. I think 3,646. So uh, he's he's going to be right there, even if he does even get banged up. I think that he's going to definitely have that in his sights, especially if he takes the uh, the extra year that maybe that the pandemic might provide. So uh, pretty impressive, Montana State again a 27 to nine victory over Idaho State. And Ty, I know that you know a lot of guys on that Idaho State staff and the Bengals you know I talked to Coach Finn after the game and before we started the interview he said man I feel like we're just a quarterback and a playmaker away and uh, I mean isn't everybody I guess that's kind of where a lot of teams are but I was actually very impressed with Idaho State's toughness I thought that they were pretty good on the lines they did not get destroyed on the line of scrimmage like I thought they were gonna by Montana State I think they ran a game plan where they were really trying to mitigate the points and then they were I mean they possessed the ball for 43 minutes and did not score a touchdown so that itself sort of shows you how the game went I mean at one point they give up a 65 yard touchdown they get the ball back down three scores early in the fourth quarter and they ran the ball 12 or 13 times in a row so I think they were trying to get out of there uh, as as unscathed as possible but I just find it interesting because you think of the Bengals and you think okay the way that this team could and should be good is like they were in 2014 with Mike Kramer there where they had Justin Arias throwing the ball over the place you know high powered high octane offense uh, defense that prioritizes takeaways but really in the way that they're built right now they're actually more like a Montana team where they have like pretty good line play and they're kind of tough. Um, so I don't know. I think that they're just kind of struggling to find what is the success for them at Idaho State. But you know, a, largely a disappointing year for ISU because I think they had high expectations. But that quarterback from Wyoming, Tyler Vanderwall, getting knocked out, I think has really set them back. They're playing a true freshman who's a walk-on out of Cody, Wyoming, who seems in over his head. Uh, but I don't know. I think it's, I guess it's nobody really expected Idaho State to make a run at the conference title. But I think they expected people expected Idaho State to be a little better than one and six. But things just haven't really gone there way. And what you're saying is right. It's it's unfortunate because I think you and I are both fans of a lot of those guys on the staff, uh, starting with the head guy. And, you know, I think that uh, all signs were, you know, looking up. I mean, they they looked like they were a program that was, they kind of had some stability. And and that program has not had much stability with the comings and goings of coaches and assistant coaches being fired for this. And I I just feel like uh, it looked like they were going to turn a corner and they haven't. But what you're saying is exactly right. And, and, And we talked about it last week. I mean, Rob Fennessy worked for Bobby Houck for seven years at the University of Montana. So he, you know he's going to uh, try to have, a, not that he's not going to have a great game plan every week, but you know that coming to Bozeman is special. Mike Farragher, Grizzly, worked for the Grizzlies. Coming to Bozeman is special. He's a tough guy. Mike, Mike, Mike is a tough-minded offensive coach. Roger Cooper, 
He's an alum. Roger was going to have a great game plan against this outfit. So, uh, you know, and I'm not, I'm not naming the whole staff, but, but there's others. So I just think, I think it's unfortunate that we all thought they were kind of turning the corner and they really struggled this year. Uh, I do believe they've got a great staff and, and hopefully they keep them together and, and just try to improve things to, uh, this last month of the season and, and get to come back for 2022 to, to turn things around. But I kind of thought, and I, I'm assuming you would agree that Idaho State wasn't going to come over, come to Bozeman and just roll over. I mean, that, that's a bunch of bunch of dudes that play hard. They're tough. They're coached to be tough. And uh, I, I wish them the best of luck moving forward because there are a lot of really, really great guys on that staff. Well, then last thing for you, because Montana State does have a bye, so they got a couple weeks to get ready for Eastern Washington. So we'll give you more of a preview and a look ahead to that, because I do think it's a fascinating matchup. But the Grizzlies play their second-to-last home game in their last non-rivalry home game of the regular season with Southern Utah coming to town. And, uh, I mean, let's just call it how it is. I can't believe what Southern Utah has become, considering what they once were. When we first launched Skyline Sports, Southern Utah was this rapidly rising team that was just, I mean, they were the it team in the league. I mean, 2014, 2015. 15 through 2017. I mean, this team made the playoffs three out of four years. They won the league outright. Two out of three years, they had, I mean, count them up one, two, three, four guys drafted in the NFL, like seven guys that got NFL shots. And now I look at them and they're they're, they're like a nameless, faceless team now. It's crazy the way that they have digressed. And uh, I know that a lot of teams in the league are taking great, I don't want to say joy, but uh, last matchups as Big Sky members, I think that there's a a lot of teams that are sending a a farewell to Southern Utah. And I think that, you know, Bobby, how said that yesterday at his press conference. He said, hey, last time we're going to play these guys as league members, so we got to make sure that we take care of business this week. So uh, to me, I mean, I know there's a lot of things that have gone against Southern Utah in terms of resources and, you know, Ed Lamb, he left that job because of the resource restrictions and all that, but I just find it wild that there was, this is a team that had multiple NFL guys on it four years ago, and now they have a hard time having any sort of reputable player in the league. All that said, though, not a team Montana can overlook because you can't stub your toe here against Eastern Washington, or against Southern Utah with uh, the, the schedule the Grizzlies got left remaining to play. Well, no question. It, one, it is fascinating uh, just to, just how much they have fallen off. Two, if you recall, that, that team in particular, you know, the, the, there was a couple teams that were so veteran-laden. Uh, I mean, they, they had dudes that were, I mean, they, they, I, remember, I remember one of the last times I was there, they had their senior day, and like 16 of them had their wives and kids, you know? Oh, dude, going, uh, yeah, I mean, the 2015 Southern Utah team, that team, yeah. I, I remember James Cowser, the DN, Matt Hawley, the inside linebacker, Mike Needham, the outside linebacker, they had multiple guys that were the class of 09, the class of 09. <laughs> when they were winning a Big Sky Championship in 2015. No, exactly. And, and good on them. And they were good. They were tough. God, they were physical. But boy, they, they really have dropped off. No, Montana will not overlook these guys. No, Bobby Hawk will not let them even think about overlooking them. They'll be ready to play. They're, they're at home. Whether, whether Southern Utah is staying in the conference or leaving, Montana's got to keep that edge they got to keep you know playing well because like 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 you and i always say the games in play in november are the ones they're going to remember and that's just a fact you know and so i know it's not quite november but they need to keep putting themselves in position so that every game in november truly means potential conference championship or not because they're sitting at two losses right now they they uh they stubbed stubbed their toe as you said they stubbed the toe one more time they're out for 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 real so uh, i don't think it matters uh, what what the name says on the front of the jersey it's a bright thing for the Grizz they're back at home you said they only get two more opportunities is this the last one or they got two more at home is that what you said uh this one and then the Bobcats Bobcats, that's it they're on the road at Northern Colorado and at Northern Arizona right so two two more opportunities for sure to get to play at home they'll be ready
Absolutely, Ty Gregorak, Big Sky Breakdown. Coach, pleasure as always. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Coulter. Have a great week. Alpine Touch is legendary around the state of Montana for providing delicious seasonings for every grilling occasion. Now, Alpine Touch offers so much more, from a savory new barbecue sauce to spicy pepper blends to tasty barbecue rubs. In addition to the classic, Alpine Touch has a variety of seasoning salts for whatever you need to spice up. Now that the holidays are over, Alpine Touch makes a perfect thank you gift to show your friends and relatives you love them. Alpine Touch, available at retail locations around Montana or online at alpinetouch.com. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Yo, another week of the Big Sky Breakdown. I think this is week 12 of Big Sky Breakdowns because it's week 9 of the college football season, the Big Sky Conference football season. Brooks Nuana is joining us here on the Big Sky Breakdown. Andrew Houghton as well. We'll also have an interview podcast for you later on this week with interviews with Demario Warren, Southern Utah head coach, uh, and a variety of other guests. So be sure to stay tuned for that. Appreciate our fine sponsors for helping us bring you the Big Sky Breakdown. Blackfoot Communications, who is involved in all of our different podcasts on our various podcasting platforms as well as Alpine Touch. Got a great giveaway going on on Nuanas now. Right now, we got a Traeger Grill, a year of Alpine Touch, and a beef box from Haymaker Beef. Pretty easy. All you got to do is subscribe to the podcast, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and to follow us on social media. Specifically, follow ESPN Missoula, Alpine Touch, and Haymaker Beef on social media. But I know you got your phone in your hand right now, so might as well just follow everything. Skyline Sports, whatever. We're all over the place. So go follow us, and that'll get you entered. In about three weeks, we'll be doing a drawing for that great prize. We also got a grill, and otter box and a cooler from twisted tea as well so a bunch of cool stuff for you hooking you up dual promotion from espn radio as well as skyline sports mt.com brooks nuana is joining us so let's talk first and foremost brooks speaking of podcasts i'm working on a podcast series catching up with the cats we've had five great guests so far uh, including mike person former bobcat all-american offensive lineman who went on to play for the san francisco 49ers jp flynn same story offensive line san francisco 49ers brad daly buck buchanan award winner zach minter guy who went and played for the chicago bears then played in the cfl for a while and uh, dakota prukop a guy who still has played in the cfl so i've been making the rounds hitting up some of the old boys denarius mcgittis had a baby he's got wait a little while before he can spend an hour on the phone because he doesn't know when he might have to grab the little one. Alex Singleton is down to do it, but he's in the middle of an NFL season. So my question to you is, who should we go after next? Who should be the next catching up with the Cats? You've been doing this with me for a while. Who are some of your most memorable figures? Oh, memorable. That's a good one. Um, there's a lot of them. Maybe Jody Owens, who I know, is, is, is still coaching in, in college football, I believe, still at Pittsburgh State. The Gorillas got to be the, one of the best mascots in all, in all of sports, let alone uh, Division II football. Uh, so Jody Owens would be a good one. Uh, I, I love Trey Robinson and his story. Um, you know, my favorite's probably Cody Kirk. Probably a decent amount of bias involved in that one. So any of those would be good. You know, Colton would be a fun one, and uh, I don't know why it wouldn't be next or, or at least, you know, pretty re- or pretty soon down the line would be Mitch Herbert. And talk about, you know, his, his brother um, – the Herbert connection to the NFL and, and, and what they're doing and, and how that, that's all perceived in their family. That would be super fun, too. It is a good one. It's fun. This is when it all comes full circle when you uh, have been doing this for a while, get a little older. I got a text on my phone from Justin Herbert when he was like 16 or 17 years old saying, hey, I just got an offer from Montana State. My brother plays there. He says that you're the guy that covers recruiting. So I just want to let you know I got an offer. And it's just crazy to think that here he is now, one of the top quarterbacks in the entire NFL. So very cool. But there you go. A little preview for what's coming up on Catching Up with the Cats because we're going to make the rounds and get a hold of all those guys. I actually just shot Jody Owens a text because I talked to Jay 
Mario uh, from time to time because he is still involved in coaching. Very, very proud alum of Montana State. He really still loves the Bobcats, and he's always checking in with me, seeing what's going on with the Cats and stuff. So appreciate it. It's one of my favorite parts about what we do, the relationships that you form, and, and how they last for a while, too. And uh, in some cases, if guys stay involved in football, sometimes they can last forever. Been fun catching up with Mikey Ryder. Every time I'm back in Bozeman, too, he's doing the color commentary. He was one of my first go-to guys on the Cats, so uh, very fun. Speaking of, saw Ryder before the game on Saturday. It was like a family reunion, or I guess a football reunion, in the press box, because not only do you have all sorts of guys on the Montana State side of things, but then on the Idaho State side of things with the Bengals in town, known Rob Fennessy for a long time. Mike Ferreter, the offensive coordinator on that staff, was a Grizz wide receiver, one of my friends in college. Roger Cooper went to Montana State. Byron Hout, a former Bobcat coach. On down the line, J.B. Hall coached to Montana once upon a time, so a ton of ties, ton of crossover. All that said, that little reunion led into one of the strangest games I've ever covered. So I've talked about this for a little while already on the radio show as well as on the podcast, so I'll let you start, Brooks. What did you think, looking down the lens at Montana State's 27-9 victory over Idaho State last weekend? I'm not going to lie. I kind of loved it until about midway through the third quarter. Um, the first half, I thought, was just like, what a game plan for Idaho State, especially if it's true that they're going to run the ball 50 times because they learned that Chase Benson and, and Callahan O'Reilly are out. If that's the case, if they were able to pivot and buy in and get the score to where it was, a one-score game at halftime, I mean, what a what a coaching job. And even if not, even if that was a decision early in the week, I still think it was the right move. It didn't throw the ball. Like, I mean, Colby, you can tell us how many pass attempts they had. I believe they ran it 47 or 48 times. They had over 41, even 42 minutes of possession, um, which puts the cuts right around 17, 18 minutes. Um, nothing like that. I've never really seen anything like that. But then the Cats start to take hold, throw a long touchdown to Billy Patterson, end up going up three scores, and Idaho State continues to run the ball into a brick wall from three yards a game. Um, I think gladly the Cats were, were, were very willing to let that happen. So, I mean, it, I'm not going to call it a good win or a, or a bad loss for Idaho State. I, I don't really know. As Coach Vegan said um, after the game, he said, you know, I, I don't really know what to say. They ran the ball uh, relentlessly when we were up three scores. So uh, you guys watched it pretty weird. It was definitely weird, and despite all that, Idaho State was able to hang around because I thought Matt McKay really struggled. I watched the game last night. I don't even know. I don't, we're not going to spend too much time on the broadcast, but man, that's a struggle bus and a half, and I think it's short-sighted to not make that the number one priority that you possibly have. I know everybody is tight budget and all that right now. I don't care. Number one line item on your budget should be the way you project yourself to the public. I'm just going to leave it at that. It should be the number one thing you care about and spend money on, period, because anything less than demeans your brand, demeans your product, demeans your players, demeans everything. Everything about what you do. We'll leave it at that. But McKay really struggled, yet I thought that Montana State found something not necessarily in handing the ball to number 22. Isaiah Fonse is the best running back in the big sky. We continue to say it. He continues to prove it. But more importantly, this offense hasn't had a quote-unquote power tackle. Well, they got one because they moved their power guard, Taylor Tuiasopo, to right tackle for this game. And I thought the off-tackle runs to the right side were particularly impressive. I don't know if they stick with it. I don't know what. I think the one criticism I have of this staff is the re- shuffling of the offensive line. I like to think that they know better than I do, because Brent Vegan was at North Dakota State. He has coached some of the best linemen in the FCS. Brian Armstrong's been doing this forever, yet I still sort of gravitate toward them, maybe not playing in the p- correct positions, but it seemed like they found some with Tuiasa Sopo playing right tackle. Yeah, I think that, I, I agree, Colton. That was the, the biggest takeaway from the game. Um, I've thought the entire season that the offensive line was, was misaligned as far as who was where and, and for what reason. You know, I think Justice Perkins is a nice player um, playing in the center position, but 
still going to be young and undersized. And he's played well, really well this season. So don't, don't, don't take that the wrong way. But overall, I thought their best five was, was Zach Red, Cole Sane, Taylor Tuyas, and Sopo, Lewis Kidd, and then a battle. And I, I don't know. I, I think TJ Sessions at right tackle um, is the future. And I think that that is why they're playing him there. I think that's why they're rolling with some young guys to you know, get reps early. It's a position that if you do play early, you do develop at a significantly faster pace. Um, you know, guys who are, are, are third and fourth year juniors and have started for two full seasons are, are usually elevated, like pretty dominant players. Uh, it doesn't really happen all that much for you to end up playing as a freshman and a sophomore and, and not just take a big leap. So I think that's the idea is, is to plan for the future a bit. Um, but I agree that the right tackle spot for a power run team, which is what they continue to be, is, is so vitally important. And that's where Lewis Kidd has been. You know, for me, I honestly thought that you could put TJ Sessions at left tackle and put Lewis Kidd at right tackle and keep it like that. Lewis Kidd, as an NFL prospect, projects to be a left tackle, but he's played inside for most of his career. And I think Brett Vegan talks extensively about how it's hard to find the tackle body, which means length plus athleticism. So you have to be all of 6'5", 6'6". You have to be all of 300-plus pounds, and you've got to be able to move. And those are hard things to find, but those are also things that are dominant on the inside where Lewis Kidd has played at a very high level for most of his career. So I personally thought that you could let TJ Sessions kind of warm up on the left side and keep him there for his whole career, especially for a team that's not going to, you know, throw the ball down the field extensively. Matt McKee doesn't need a ton of time in the pocket. The sacks he's taken this year have mostly been on him, very likely, his hesitancy or him pulling the ball down. Um, I don't think that TJ Sessions on the left side would have been, you know, a big a big step back, but I do think Lewis Keaton on the right side is a big upgrade. So in the style of, of running schemes they want to, that they want to implement. So, so Taylor Tuyasa Sopo going to the right side, I agree, Colter. I mean, probably their, their most well-rounded lineman, probably, you know, one of their, you know, two or three best players on their team. Um, not surprised that he can that he can switch positions to a position he hasn't played since high school is what he mentioned. He probably has played a couple snaps here or there. But regardless, Taylor Tuyasa Sopo, dominant, and it really led to a, a big, big day for Isaiah Defonse. And, and, and Defonse was getting off. You know, I mean, he was, he was hunting people down, and he had big run after big run, and, um, you know, big chunk play after chunk play and and the the day as we asked him Coulter can he feel if it's going to break well he said no but we can all sure feel when the dam's about to break when the process gets four yards four yards 17 yards good luck because the next one's about to be 50 and we've said it from you know a lot of years now this is you know two and a half full years of saying that Isaiah Fonte is the best running back in the Big Sky Conference one of the three or four best running backs in the country uh anyone who again doesn't believe that I'd love to I'd love to chat it out well, one of my favorite parts is asking the opposing coaches about him. You know, I always make sure, especially at home games at Bobcat Stadium, to go get quotes from the visiting coach, the opposing coach, and Rob Fennessy, a guy we've known for a long time. He's ultimately very impressed with Isaiah Fonse. I think that Fennessy, although he, he sort of has branded himself as a guy that likes to have a running gun, run and shoot type offense, he still, in his essence, is a former college tight end and a guy that loves smash mouth football and loves physical football and had some of the most physical run games in the league ever when he was at Montana. Tana. A lot of people would say that's Bobby Houck's influence, but either way, fantasy was still the guy calling the play to hand it to Lex Hilliard or Justin Green or Chase Reynolds. So uh, he was gushing about Afonso. He definitely agrees with us. He's the best running back in the league. So Afonso uh, continues to impress. Where are we at with Matt McKay? Because McKay was a model of efficiency. I, he was never spectacular, although they were trying to pump him as that just because he was so solid. And I get everything that they were doing, and I think McKay was solid, but then he was not very good against Weber, and he was downright bad for the first three quarters against uh, Idaho State. So where are we at with the uh, the North North Carolina State transfer quarterback for the Bobcats. 
Yeah, Colton, I think he was bad against Weaver, too, to be completely honest. I don't see a ton of difference in the last two games. Um, indecisive. In the pocket, he's got happy feet, not willing to really run the ball. In Idaho State, he did run the ball a little bit, and it was very successful for him as well. as It really helped the, the, the offense and as a whole. It uh, really helped Isaiah and Fonte kind of open things up. Uh, we've talked about it a little bit. I, I think Matt McKay needs to understand that how important that quarterback run game is to the scheme that they have implemented, which is based around him. Um, you can't always hand it. you got to take it about six, seven, eight, even ten times a game. I think that that is probably seven, eight carries a game, pulling on the zone ring is probably the sweet spot. But some of the indecisiveness is interesting. You know, I, I don't know if the receivers outside of Lance McCutcheon have not taken the next step. I think that plays into it. Uh, you know, Lance McCutcheon starts to get more attention. That first read is taken away. Where do you go to next? You know, we're not seeing Jaden Smith and, and Willie Patterson uh, make a bunch of big plays. You know, we're not getting a lot of uh, short passes that are that are helpful to get Matt McKay going. Some of that, too, and I've talked about this extensively in the last five years on this podcast. For listeners who may not understand how you know, implementing a scheme goes or what they call general install, you're going in, to install, in, install you know, about 30, 40, maybe 50 plays that are your core plays. That's all through fall camp. Every week you're adding to it. But at the end of it, you're going to have about you know, 20 running plays, about 20 to 25 passing plays that are your core plays. You can call it any time. Everyone knows what, what those plays are and the identity of the team. Every week you're adding five run plays and eight to 10 passing plays that are new, uh, that are built in theory to go against the scheme that you're about to face. So there's this idea of each week you got to put something new out there because everything that you've done is on film. Good coaches and good programs will have a really good idea of what you want to do out of certain formations, out of certain down and distance, out of certain places on the field, with certain personnel groups. You have to add to that. And sometimes when you add to that, number one, it can go wrong if the offensive coordinator or staff as a whole kind of was misled in what will what can beat the defense that they're looking at. So you install kind of the wrong things, um, and you have to go back to your core stuff, and then those, that team knows what your core stuff is, so it kind of becomes a, uh, your button heads. You know, you're, you're kind of battling against a team that has an idea of what you want to do. Or it can be that, that the personnel, the quarterback, and the, and the groupings are not picking up the install quickly enough, or not it's not the install that fits their game. So that idea means that if Matt McKay – week to week, or his last two weeks, isn't picking up the install the way that the coaches want him to, then during the game, that's where the happy feet. During the game, that's where some of the indecisiveness comes from when you call a new play and you're not seeing it very well. Or you're calling a new play and Idaho State just has an answer for you. That can happen. I don't think it happened two weeks in a row, though. I think it's probably a mixable. A little bit of, you know, what, what, what are we going to install from a staff perspective? Is that correct? We'll see. And then also, how much is Matt McKay retaining of that install? Um, I think that they're both really important aspects of it. And, you know, He's got to definitely play better because otherwise you're going to start seeing, you know, two quarterback system here is a lot more Tommy Malott. I have people texting me like, oh, look at this. They're going to ruin Tommy Malott if they did Trey Anderson. It could happen. You know, I could, I could definitely see that. You and I have talked about by the time Cat Grizz comes and it's cold in November and the playoffs are on the line, the big side title's on the line. Are you going to let happy feet happen? Are you going to let interceptions happen? Are you going to let, you know, long third down passes not be – I don't know if this staff would, would, would allow that. So we'll, we'll see as the quarterback thing progresses. Uh, luckily they got a bye week this week and then they're going to need them against Eastern. Well, speaking of that, here we are, and the Bobcats have won seven consecutive games. They're 7-1 overall. They're 5-0 in the Big Sky Conference. They're the only team in the Big Sky without a conference loss. They're up to number six in the country. They're the highest-ranked Big Sky Conference team. And for all the tumult and all of the uh, narrative and conversation and, in a lot of cases, freakouts when Jeff Choate first left, I don't think that it probably could have gone any better for Montana State than it has these first eight weeks of the Brent Vegan era. There's really not much 
much, if anything, left to be desired. They've done pretty much everything you could expect. I think it's almost a best case scenario, which we very rarely ever see in any of the sports that we cover anymore. Uh, but what say you? I mean, what do you think of where the Bobcats are at now? Going to the bye and now two out of three on the road against two of the best teams in the conference coming up. It's a really good team, man. Montana State is as good as they've been in, you know, the last five years under any choke team. They're as good, if not better. I guess the only, the only uh, part that I find to be a touch uh, disappointing that they didn't come out with that Idaho or that uh, win over Wyoming, which I think that they, they outplayed the Cowboys through and through. I honestly, I don't think that that's really an argument. You know, you could you could get it close to maybe 50-50, but I thought the Bobcats outplayed folks, and I, I thought that they should have won that game. You know, you have the Billy Patterson punt return, blocking the back. It was really a tough call. Um, that was house for a touchdown to beat an FBS team, and I got called back. And um, I think this team really could have had that stamp and probably should be in the top five rankings. I'm always interested in week after week, and they keep creeping up, like, but from 10, 11 to 10 and 10 to 9, and now they're like 7. I'm like, this is the top five team in the country. I don't think it's really an argument. Um, so, yeah, they've, they've been dar- darn good, man. And as you mentioned, I think some of the changes that, that vegans implemented weren't as drastic as some people thought defensively and coordinator-wise, especially defensively. It's been damn impressive. We've talked about that before, Colter. Both of those, these young coordinators, Taylor House on offense and Freddie Banks on defense, are, are bright young minds. They have this thing rolling. They have very good plans. They have a very good uh, understanding of their, of their personnel, and they get people in the right spot. A lot of depth. Some of the transfers that we haven't talked a ton about, especially defensively, um, have really added to this to the idea of how do you play defense in this day and age. You got to have some depth. You got to play up tempo where the offense does, and you got to have guys that can run to the football. Uh, Montana State has all of that, and they're rolling, man. I mean, I think the bye week comes at a perfect time, and then you know you probably talk about the, the, the conference title being on the line next week. They win that game, then playing with house money down down the stretch, and you can't grizz. Well, I know the coaches are saying that they're not looking ahead, although Freddie Banks, defensive coordinator, he did do a uh, podcast the other, or excuse me, an interview the other day, press conference the other day. We'll have that podcast here a little while later on this week. But uh, he was saying, hey, you know, we'll be ready for Eastern Washington. And uh, so they are preparing for a team that two weeks from now, but Eastern has a bye as well. And uh, we'll completely diagnose this game, get into all the ins and outs of it. But to me, the primary matchup, the headlining matchup in this game is, can Eastern Washington slow down Montana State's run game at all? Or is Isaiah Fonse going to run crazy? And on the other side, can Montana State's young corners continue to step up? Because they've been among the surprises of the season, but the Bobcats have not played anybody that can throw the ball hardly at all, let alone as well as Eric Berrier and Eastern Washington can. So uh, what, are you, what are your initial thoughts on this uh, top 10 matchup two weeks from now in Cheney? Yeah, I agree. That, that's the matchups, right? I think, I think both of those things are the answers for the, the offense. I think Infante is going to get off and go nuts and run crazy. And I think Eric Berrier is going to have a day. He's going to throw all in place. He's going to throw on top of these young quarters' heads. That doesn't mean anything is for the final score of the game or, or who I think is favored. I think Montana State has to go into this game with freshman corners to understand, hey, we're going to give up three big touchdowns. Like, it's just, it's just going to happen. Um, you know, they scored, Montana State couldn't score, but they scored 13 points against Weaver, 10 points. I can't remember the score. 13 13-7. 13-7. Um, well, Weaver, Weaver just scored 38 on 35 on Eastern. So that's definitely going to be in favor for the Cats. I think they're, they're going to be able to score and score readily. But also, Montana State was only able to score 13 on Weaver, and, and Eastern was able to score, you know, 30, 
32, 33, whatever that score was. He was 35 to 32, somewhere in that ballpark. So we're looking at the idea that Eric Berry is going to get big plays. It's just going to happen. And Montana State hasn't dealt with that all season. So how can they – I think they're it'll be most beneficial if they have that concept in their head before the game. It's not really a bend, don't break thing. It's a let's stifle them as we can, and the shot plays are likely going to happen. It's just the nature of the beast we play, the best quarterback in the nation, or the best offenses in the nation, averaging over 50 points. It's going to be, unfortunately, you know, I think the Cats could buckle down. There's only a couple ways this game, a couple ways this game could go, and the Cats could win handily. I also think that it could be a shootout, and that's interesting for the Cats who have not done that. I totally agree it could be a shootout because I think that Eastern Washington's defense played well against Montana when I watched them, yet they still gave up 28 points, including, uh, well, I guess one was a kick return, but uh, that's an offense that, that's a lot for that offense because Montana's offense has been struggling. They haven't really been able to do much. Uh, Isaiah Fonse behind Taylor Tuiasasopo and Lewis Kidd is a little different than Junior Bergen and Xavier Harris behind Hunter McGinnis and Moses Mallory. I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody, but uh, there's a lot more elite talent when it comes to the power run game at Montana State, so uh, it could be a game in which Montana State scores a lot, only because I think that that's a good matchup for the Cats, bad matchup for Eastern Washington. So we'll get into all that here a little bit more next week. Let's talk about the game in Moscow. The Grizzlies go in, get a much-needed victory, 34-14 over uh, Idaho. A weird game because Idaho set the tone. It looks like they were going to roll, and then they just didn't, and they played quarterback carousel and played haphazard play calling, and it was just Idaho as we've seen them the last several years. Just so weird since they came back to the league. The fact that there was nobody there I think is a very uh, telling sign for where the Idaho program's at. I think they need to do something to make the program better because the program should be good. It could be good, and if it is good, it will be very good for the league. Uh, But right now, a bizarre circumstance because because Montana 3-0 against Idaho since they rejoined the Big Sky Conference. None of the games have been particularly close, at least a three-touchdown margin in all three of those, and now seven consecutive victories in the battle for the Little Brown Stein, dating back to 2000. So Montana owns the the uh, rivalry within the league. They own the rivalry within this century, and uh, Idaho still le- left looking for answers. But it was a get-right game for the Grizz, and I thought more than anything, offensive adjustments, all that aside, the Grizz defense had their snap back, and they were pressuring the quarterback. I know it's a good matchup for them, but they, they forced turnover and they got sacks. That's what this defense has got to do. So uh, maybe not a full resurgence to where Montana was when they were riding so high in September. They still got to take care of business one more game in what has been largely a mediocre October, but it was the win that they needed. And as we've seen, sometimes when you get that win you need, then you get the win that you want. And then all of a sudden you're rolling and uh, you never know when a win streak could start. But at this level, that's one of the key factors is getting on a win streak. And once you get on a win streak, you might ride all the way to the final four. You might ride all the way to the national championship. We've seen it multiple times in our time at Skyline Sports. So what'd you think of the Grizzlies? He's taking care of business in Moscow. I thought you framed it really well, Coulter. I thought, you know, I, I thought it was really important for the Grizz to react after that first drive of, by Idaho. And they ran the ball well, and, and they pushed, pushed it right down, pounded it in the end zone. And I thought it was really important for the Grizz to, didn't, you know, have a response to that. And they did that. And, and they played so damn well on defense. And it was a good matchup. But, you know, Idaho has talent, man. And, and you spoke to it really well. I mean, Idaho, they got to do something there. I think it's pretty clear. Or Coach Petrino's had his had his run. Um, you told me a stat. You know he's he's 32 and 68 um, at at Idaho in his last nine years. This is not going to get it done. You know for a historic program that has a lot of NFL um, legacy, current and and in the past. You know it is a program that should be in the top four or five in the Big Sky every single year, contending for titles. And the the state of Idaho has really solid, good, you know high level high school football to recruit from. Regionally, they're really relevant in Montana and Washington and Oregon. You know, it should be a FCS, a borderline powerhouse. Um, and it's just not, even though you can see the talent there. Young quarterback, 
Um, you know, they played a running quarterback and a joint quarterback, and, you know, they're, they're all over the, the, the map when it comes to that kind of stuff. And no home field advantage, as you mentioned. We'll get back to the Grizz, because I thought it was an important win for them. Uh, I thought Chris Brown looked a lot better. You know, Chris Brown has had his early his early career struggles, a guy who has not played a ton. Um, a big, strong, uh, a big, strong, a lot of arm talent from Chris Brown, but some of that arm talent oftentimes early on, you, you see it with a lot of guys who have that kind of talent, who are some 6'5 guys that can, that can really spin it. Um, you know, the, the reaction is to get the ball out a little early. And that early ball that is not tempoed and doesn't have much touch to it tends to float on you. Um, and you either put it in the ground, you either throw ground balls, you throw floaters that get ticked um, just because of the nature of the beast of you try to overthrow stuff and you're a little quick and you put your footwork. Chris Brown looks a lot better than he has um, in his first two appearances. So I think that's really positive for the Grizz. Again, they don't have a really dynamic running game, but Gina Bergen's had some moments against Idaho there that were, you know, that he looked pretty good. And the offensive line is still trying to kind of find its footing as far as uh, are they going to be a dominant unit and, and in what way? Um, how are they going to, you know, make positive plays happen and, and make sure that the, the, the chains keep moving for a young quarterback like Chris Brown? They, they looked better. Um, against Idaho. So I think it is a real positive move. And, and, and then they head into a game where I think they should be favored. And as you mentioned, once you get rolling and get a little confident, especially for young players, um, which they play quite a few of, especially offensively, uh, I think that's a good spot for the Grizz to be in. I was thinking about this last night. This is a take that I haven't really expressed on any sort of podcast or radio or anything like that. Bobby Houck uh, has been so good um, in a variety of measuring sticks since taking over as the head coach at Montana for the first time in 2003. Uh, Houck had had a ton of success in his assistant, mostly on Rick Neuheisel's staffs. And then he came to Montana and he inherited a team that had won the national championship two years earlier. He took that team back to the national championship game two years in. That's all to say that Bobby Houck has been a head college football coach uh, for what? Let's count them up. Ten years at Montana, five years at UNLV, so 15 total years. Uh, then with an ass- a stint as the associate head coach at San Diego State in between there. But 15 total years as a head coach. He's lost very few games, particularly when he's been at Montana. And uh, all that's to say, though, even when he inherited this Montana program for the second time around in 2018, the Grizz had some significant holes on their roster, but they were not a young program because because of the COVID year and because of just the way that they've structured the roster and then because of the injuries that they've suffered, they are a young program. And Coach Houck has never been one to make excuses or play up a narrative. He says it exactly uh, pretty cut and dry. He even downplays pretty much every element of the narrative building or the, the, the culture of sports talk or sports writing or any of that stuff. He never takes the bait. He's always talking it down. But he has said one thing consistently. He said, We're the, this is the youngest team I've coached. And you know he keeps saying, the guy taking the snap and the guy when he takes the snap who he's given it to and all of the above they're all freshmen and uh, I do think it's an interesting deal because no matter how good and veteran and long you've been doing it there's a lot of things in life that you never know until you learn you can't just know you just have you have to learn that's pretty much everything in life you don't just have it downloaded in your brain there's very few things that are just purely based on wit and intuition and natural intelligence most things are learned period and so I was thinking the other day that while Bobby Houck he kind of is is he's above any sort of um, sympathy, so to speak. This is a situation he's never been in, and the fact that they have navigated this since Cam Humphrey got knocked out, and to the tune of three games, and they've won two of those three games, uh, including a road game at their rival, who, by the way, they're certainly overmatched, Idaho is, 
I guess what I'm saying is that sometimes you got to give credit where credit's due. I think it has been. Um, the narrative around the Grizz has been, what's up with the Grizz? Why are the Grizz not what they were when they played Washington? Why are the Grizz not what they were in September? Why do the Grizz look bad on offense? All these things. But a part of the narrative, and if it wasn't the Grizz and it wasn't Bobby Houck, the narrative would certainly be, look at how good of a job Coach Houck is doing with backup quarterback and a fifth string running back and a decimated offensive line. But it's not. It's Bobby Houck and the Grizz, so therefore he gets no leeway. I just think it's very interesting because maybe he does deserve a little more leeway than people are giving him. Yeah, I, I hear that. I think that it's, you know, it's all out of, it's not even, you know, it's not a media creation. It's not necessarily a fan creation. It's the fact that you beat the number 20 team in the country, the biggest FBS win in program history, and they lose to Sac City at home. You know, that's just, the, that's just the nuts and bolts of it. You can't really, you know, none of that has to do with uh, if you play freshman or not. That's just It's true. And when he also gets up there and says, it's the biggest win of my coaching career. And then he also says after the Cal Poly game, these guys did it. The Grizz are back. I mean, he's definitely set the table for this as well, for the, the uh, disappointments that have followed the hype machine yeah and, and the young guys is part of it man but yeah you know the running back situation is tough so i'll give you that um the quarterback situation um is you know it's hard to say that that you get a lot of leeway with saying that you're playing a backup who's a six five strong armed stallion of a guy you know it's like hard to say that that's uh there's a lot of teams and programs in this in this conference that would die to have chris brown start as their starting quarterback um the running back situation is tough the offensive line situation is interesting and um, not as much development as you hope from some of the older guys as you kind of had already mentioned Coulter. but it's a good take and i i do agree with you um but it's also you know what i'll say right it's that uh, there is only one expectation and that is to make national championship runs year in year out and not only make national championship runs but but fit to the playoff picture i was a seeded team that is going to have home field advantage and all of those things honestly i understand how challenging they are and i understand that those expectations coming from someone who's sitting on the sidelines is um those are high expectations but i think that that's what they are so i'll leave it at that no doubt and it's exactly where uh, everybody within the program particularly bobby Houck, wants them to be so um you know we're not saying anything that is gonna rile anybody up because it's exactly what they want exactly what uh, is is needed at montana uh for sure where are we at though so the grizz defense i find so fascinating to analyze because of what they do and what they don't do so much you were mentioning montana state's defense earlier and and some of the the substitutions and the depth and the diverse packages and all that sort of stuff montana does not necessarily sub based on personnel they're not throwing guys into the game uh to get them a rep here or there or because the offense put this guy in the game that's a double-edged sword it could be a great thing for the defense it could be a flaw of the defense Uh, I'm, i'm still up in the air about it but to me the reason it's an interesting defense to analyze is because it's so simple in its measure of success. In other words, this defense, if they play with their hair on fire, they tackle well in space and they don't give up big plays, they're going to mess up everybody that they play. Pretty much, period, across the board, I think that they will have the upper hand when their defense is on the field against every team they could play until they get deep into the playoffs. Uh, maybe Montana State aside, but I think I'm going to consider that Montana State game the first round of the playoffs uh, for the Grizzlies and the Bobcats, just depending on how everything goes between now and then but what was missing uh, the couple weeks where they looked a little bit lifeless I mean it was the snap it was the zip it was the aggressiveness the partying on the pile I think part of it was because they had a little virus going around part of it's because they had some guys banged up but either way I mean, what's your take on the Grizz defense because it seems like if they play at the intensity level that is required for the scheme then the scheme will cater to them overwhelming everybody that they play they just have to find a way to play at that intensity level down the stretch in the regular season and into the playoffs 
if you can sustain that level, but is that level sustainable? Can you just get after people with, with seven guys who are all fresh and no one's injured and no one's stressed, no one broke up with their girlfriend, no one has a test? Like, is it sustainable for, for amateur athletes to do? I mean, I think it probably is, but it, it's going to be challenging. Um, and if it's, if it's not going the way that it has when they've been dominant on defense, if they're not getting home or if they kind of call the dogs off, then they become a little bit, they fall back a little bit more towards the median. Um, and that's just due to like, you know, the scheme within the secondary, a lot of man coverage. Um, and, and when they're in zone, it's not necessarily something that they have done a ton of this season. So it's not like they just fall back into like some soft two coverage and, and make it seem like they keep everything in front of them because that's just who they are as an identity. It's not who they are. So it's hard for them to transition that. That would be the, the one concern is that if, if you hang your head on getting home and you don't get home, what do you do? So the defense has been dominant, and it's all about effort. And they have some some leaders. You talk about the Patrick O'Connell, Jace Lewis of the world, Robbie Houks. You know, those are three guys that are you know maybe the best of their position or in the top, you know, top three all-league style players, um, those guys are going to have to get after it and keep going. Um, you hope that you can find some depth in the secondary because, you know, you have one guy go down, um, and it, it definitely becomes an issue, especially scheme-wise. If you, if you miss a guy here or there for a couple of drives or a game or two uh, in the secondary, that's where they be, have been a touch vulnerable 15 to 20 yards downfield in the middle of the field. So we'll, we'll see how, how their health um, goes. But is it sustainable? In theory, but um, it's going to be a challenge. I think that this defense, if any, is up up to it just because of the way they run to the football and the way that, that the effort level that they've sustained thus far. Um, I, I do think that it's something that they will have to hang their hat on if they want to make a playoff run. Well, last week, Northern Colorado beat Southern Utah 17-9 to for uh, basically the battle for last place. It's like a three-way race between Cal Poly, Northern Colorado, and Southern Utah. I think Northern Colorado is going to win that race because they have won two league games beating NAU and Southern Utah. I don't really know where Cal Poly or Southern Utah find a league win unless they play each other. I can't even remember what the schedule indicates. But uh, I guess a simple question for you. Is it a good or bad thing for the Grizzlies that they play Southern Utah and Northern Colorado in back-to-back weeks leading up to the rivalry game against Montana State? I'm going to dodge the question and say both. It's very good because you're going to get rolling. Um, it's also challenging because it, you haven't played a big boy team in a couple of weeks, um, you know, over a month, to be honest. So, yeah, those bottom, the bottom dwellers, it'll be interesting, you know, see who gets the number one pick, see, see what kind of draft picks they're going to take. Oh, right, they don't do that. Uh, it's not a good spot for any of those teams to be in. Montana uh, should be heavily favored in those games and should take care of business. Um, I, I don't think it's a bad thing for the young guys. We'll, we'll, we'll stick with that narrative. If, if the Grizz are young and Chris Brown is trying to figure it out and the running backs are trying to figure it out, um, I do think that that's positive for those groups, and which makes it positive for the Grizz. I must say, I'm remiss to say, I would be remiss if I didn't add that they have to go to Northern Arizona as well. So, uh, although NAU's not a, a juggernaut this year, it is a, chal- a challenge before they play Montana State, because a trip to flag is always a, a weird one as well. Oh, yeah. They're, they're classic league games. I mean, Cal Poly, we've talked about, you know, it's kind of a, a, a later addition to the league. And, but the Northern Colorado, the Rocky Mountain games are all important. The Northern Colorado's, Northern Arizona's the world. Uh, Southern Utah's out because they live in the desert anyway. But we talk about the traditional, you know, the traditional Big State Conference, the kind of the original eight or nine teams. And they're all important. They're all rivalry games. It all matters. Uh, we would love it if this league, if, if everyone played everybody. But, you know, Montana, Northern Arizona should play every single year. And it should be a game that matters to both teams. So I, I find that kind of stuff intriguing, important, um, relevant, and I think the Grizz will too. 
Brooks Nuana, SkylineSportsMT.com. One last thing for you before we get you out of here, because this is the Big Sky Breakdown. We talk heavily about Montana, Montana State. Those are our core audiences. We know that. But a lot of people listen to this podcast are from fan bases that don't necessarily follow those two teams directly, or there's a lot of people that do follow those two teams directly, immensely interested in the rest of the league. Weber State goes into Eastern Washington, 35-34 victory. Eagles missed a extra point that would have tied the game late, but the story was uh, twofold. Deep shots to Rashid Shaheed and three fake punts for Weber State. Jay Hill seems to have the formula when he takes on Eastern. Were you surprised by the uh, Wildcats' victory in Cheney? I was a touch surprised. They played really well, man. I mean, that's not an easy win. I mean, that's that's a huge win. It's also a huge win across the board for the teams like Montana State, you know, who beat Weber, then Weber goes and beats Eastern, and it makes that win even better. It was a great win for the Wildcats. I mean, I'm not surprised that Jay Hill has this team continue to fight. You know, they, they've had their struggles, but – Overall, you know, when they were sitting two and four, I, I did not think that they were ever going to fold, um, which is really important as far as where they've been in the league standings and what that means for, you know, the strength of, of the conference as a whole. Uh, great win for, for, for Weber State, and uh, we'll see how Eastern reacts. You know, I think it's so interesting that kind of the two best teams in the league right now, record-wise, eye test-wise, uh, you know, perception-wise, is, is Eastern and Montana State, and they're both on a bye week this week coming off of, you know, really weird games, a tough loss for Eastern and, and, a, and an interesting win for, for Montana State. So I love where, where both those teams are at going to the bye. It'll be so interesting to get to see them play. But for Weber State, I mean, uh, reignites their season. We'll see how if they can, you know, they're playing with house money now and they can make a little run down the stretch and see where they end up and at least take some momentum into the offseason if nothing, nothing else. We see a breakdown presented in part by Blackfoot Communications as well as Alpine Touch. Visit alpinetouch.com to get yourself some Alpine Touch ordered up. Brooks, appreciate the time, man. Thanks for doing it, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Yeah, Colton, can I, can I say one thing that uh, for Montana State fans, once this, this podcast is up, you will probably have heard of it, but until then, uh, breaking news at this moment would be that Troy Anderson is getting a, a high honor today at Montana State. Uh, he is being named the National Football Foundation Scholar Athlete, one of 13 across the country. Uh, MSU has only ever had five in its program's history. By all accounts, a very storied honor um, for the history of college football as well as present-day college football. A big deal for Troy Anderson. Um, so another nod for one of the, you know, the greatest Bobcats of all time, one of the greatest in Big Sky Conference history. Um, so good job, Troy Anderson. Great job, Detroit. No question about it. We'll be having some profile stuff coming up as well. It's going to be very interesting. I was thinking about this the other night because two of the guys that I really want to write profiles about are Chase Benson and Troy Anderson. Neither one has much a desire or <laughs> like of talking about themselves or talking to the media at all. And uh, so I, I have some ideas, though, on how to craft the, the tales of those two guys' stories because they have phenomenal stories. And I think the fact that they don't much like doing press conferences and stuff is part of the story. So uh, can, good, to, good for them. And uh, We'll have those for you a little later on. So you can check all that out at SkylineSportsMT.com. Brooks, have yourself a great weekend, and we'll talk to you soon. At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com news.
Time now, as we do each week, for Across the Sidelines, presented by Mike Nugent and Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. We interview coaches that are taking on either Montana or Montana State. This week, Southern Utah travels to Washington Grizzly Stadium to take on the Grizzlies in Missoula. We're joined now by Demario Warren, the head coach of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds. And coach, this is strange. I've been interviewing you for eight or nine years now, and uh, this is like the last time I'm going to interview you as a Big Sky uh, member. So first and foremost, how are you? How you doing? Thanks so much for joining us. Good, good, doing good. Just getting ready for the Grizz, man. It's an exciting environment for for our young players to go out there that's never been out there. And shoot, I don't think we've been out there for a long time, so uh, since 16. So I don't think there's very many people left from that team. So it'll be exciting to switch your dream up as a coach, as a player, just to go in that type of stadium and 30,000 people uh, booing you. That's uh, pretty cool. Well, you have a unique perspective because you've been at Southern Utah for the duration of the time. Southern Utah's been in the Big Sky Conference, and now with this being sort of the last hurrah in the Big Sky Conference, what are your thoughts just on Southern Utah moving out of the Big Sky, moving into the WAC? Yeah, I've been here, been here before the Big Sky, during the Big Sky, and and now uh, we're moving out of it. So it's uh, it, it's just interesting. I know the Big Sky has been good to us. We we won a couple championships, and I don't think there's many teams uh, that can say they won multiple championships in the big sky since we've been in it and so had some success had some some down years and uh, it's, it's definitely been frustrating uh, not being able to get back to that point but this conference has grown man since since the time I've uh, been here and when you look at some of the coaches now they all a lot of them came from power five conferences or or, uh, a group of five conferences and so the transfers uh, that those some of those schools are getting are really good and got Bobby Hawk back in here Um, it's just uh, Danny Dan Hawkins like it's it's really changed over the last three or four years and my wife was talking about the other day I think I'm like the the third longest tenured coach and and I've only been here six years so it's been a lot of turnover a lot of great coaches coming in and uh, it's, it's super competitive which is fun. Well, let's talk about just the ebbs and flows of Southern Utah, because when we first launched Skyline Sports, my multimedia company that's now partnered here with ESPN Montana, we uh, Southern Utah was riding, riding really high. I mean, you're talking playoffs three out of four years, a couple of Big Sky Conference championships, and this last couple of years trying to get back to that level. So what's the ebbs and flows been like for Southern Utah, and how much do you think, just like you just mentioned, the changing landscape of the league has influenced just everything across the board for your program and, and other programs in the league as well? Yeah, uh, obviously, again, was disappointing. We, we definitely won some championships there in 15 and 17, which were, which were awesome. And 18 was a down year. I thought we were really young. And, and 19, we started to build a little bit towards the end of the season, went into the last four, and then and then COVID hit. <laughs> so it's uh, just, it's, it's always a grind here. It's never easy. And even in those years that we won championships, I mean, we got blown out early in the season by South Dakota State in, in 15. And uh, we got blown out by Sac State in 17 before we went on our run. So it's just, a unique place where you got to have a lot of guys that, that have a lot of grit that that uh that are bought into the process and bought into doing it in southern utah and um and it, it helps to have a bunch of seniors that are graduating all at once and so we just haven't had that that i haven't been able to keep guys here long enough and and, and have that camaraderie uh, for four or five years and so it's been a grind but uh we're competitive and dang near every game and just trying to find a way to win some of these Demario Warner joining us here. He's the head coach of Southern Utah. Snuana is now on ESPN Radio as well as SWX Montana Television around the state of Montana. And coach, uh, take us through just your season so far. I know last week uh, a back and forth close game against Northern Colorado. You guys fall seventeen to nine. But where are you at just with your team? What, what do you thought of just the way that you guys have been playing so far? And uh, is there any carryover from the spring season? Because I know you guys were one of the teams that did play in the spring. So has that had any influence on you for better or worse so far this fall? 
Uh, yeah, I think it did help us just be a little bit more prepared because we had some, some new coordinators uh, in 2020 that didn't get to coach. And so it was good to get some plays on film and so we can go over those things. But the one thing that these dudes do, our team, is they're just competitive. I mean, we didn't play well against San Jose State, and we come back and are fighting our tails off against Arizona State five days later. Um, and then we go on the road and win a game, and then we get number two at home uh, against Eastern, and uh, we, we drop a ball late in the second quarter. And uh, instead of being down two, all of a sudden we're down. 16 because they go down and score and so we fight back and claw back in the third quarter and then they kind of pull away at the end um, and so we're, we're there we're, we're some really good teams uh, NAU we fall behind and we fight back we're down 24-0 and we climb within 10 two times so good thing is that we're, we're like I said we're continuing to fight um, you look across the, the league and you see these 44-0 blowouts I'm just hoping our team can continue to fight and I think that's one characteristic of our team and our city is that we're going to continue to work hard and we're going to continue to fight and so that, that's the good thing that I've seen and it's, it's uh, carried over from spring being able to bounce back from all those tough losses and continue to fight like that they're doing I'm just so proud of the guys each and every week. Well, one guy on your roster that I think that probably objectively really benefited from the spring season is Braxton Jones. I know he's gotten from sort of an unknown guy in this league to a guy that was a first-team All-American as an offensive tackle there uh, coming out of the spring, and it uh, seems like he's playing well again. So what have you thought of just his development? He seems like he's kind of that big sky guy, right, where he's kind of a diamond in the rough, and, and uh, now he's developed into a guy that's getting some hype as maybe a potential NFL guy. So what do you thought of just the way he's grown? Yeah, exactly. Kind of just kind of my point earlier. We just don't have enough four or five year guys, and he's one of them. And he's developed into a draft pick. I mean, we've had pretty much every NFL team almost twice through here. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be, I'd be shocked if he doesn't go in the first four rounds. And so he's developed, didn't start his first two years and uh, just continued to develop. And Coach Fernandez did a great job with him. Uh, and he got better and better each and every year. And, and now he's, in my opinion, the best old lineman in, in the big sky and one of the best uh, old lineman in the country and so it's it's been awesome to see him and how humble and how hard he works each and every day was there a moment that you sort of saw the light bulb turn on for him or where you saw him sort of turning the corner and, and going because i know he was a converted defensive lineman so i mean was there a moment where you sort of saw him get, get that uh aha moment and then really start to develop into now what he has become no, he, he wasn't a, um, of D lineman. He he started out at O line. Uh, he's been an O lineman, but um, I would I would just say when he finally got that chance to start, he was sitting behind Marquez Tucker, which got a shot with the Chicago Bears and played in the uh, XFL for a year. Um, so he got a chance to learn from him. He played with uh, Zach Larson, which won the Remington Award uh, as the best center in the FCS country. And so he he was around a lot of great people, and, and I could just see his work ethic each and every day. And it wasn't. And I think that's the thing that I try to get our guys to understand is like. You just put the, the work in each and every day. You're never going to see those big jumps. All of a sudden, you're going to look back two years, three years down the road, and you're going to be a Miles Killebrew, a Sean Sims, a James Cowles, or a Braxton Jones. And um, when guys buy into that and continue to work like that, you get to see these type of results. And so I'm, I'm just so happy for him and his family. And, yeah, excited to see what happens next for him. Across the sidelines, presented by Mike Nugent, Berkshire Hathaway Real Estate. Damari Warren, the head coach of Southern Utah, joining us here on Nuanas Now. His team, the Southern Utah Thunderbirds, come to Missoula for the last time as a Big Sky Conference member on Saturday afternoon. And, Coach, you mentioned some of the NFL lineage that your program's had in recent years, and uh, we find it just uh, so fun, especially at Skyline Sports, following some of these guys that have played at Southern Utah that are now still making it happen in the NFL. I know Miles Kilbrew still plays a ton of football in the NFL, and uh, it's just very fun to, to watch those guys playing at the highest level but what about the Southern Utah program has allowed for that to happen because right now Southern Utah has as many guys playing on Sundays or at least as many guys getting the opportunity to play on Sundays as anybody in the league. 
uh, it's the environment here. Uh, I, I honestly believe that if you have a program, a structure that's going to work hard, you don't have a ton of distraction. And so Coach Lamb did a great job of, of building that uh, structure of just the mentality of working hard. And when you got you got guys that uh, you recruit that have the potential to go to the NFL, either height, weight, or size, um, and they put the four or five years in, then it, then it happens. All of our guys have been high school kids. Like, we haven't had a lot of transfers that go to the NFL. And so it's just a development program that, that again, is in an environment that there's not a lot of distractions. In. But it does take a special person to come in here and, and grind it out for four or five years. And, and, and we've been fortunate enough to have a lot of those, those type of kids on our team. Well, Coach, let's talk about the matchup at hand. Montana coming off of a 34-14 victory uh, at Idaho. And uh, the Grizz were riding as high as anybody in the country the first month of the season, but then they dropped two straight Big Sky games, uh, losing at Eastern Washington and losing a home at Sac State, but a bounce back for the Grizz last Saturday. So uh, just in your broad analysis, what have you seen out of Montana? What do you think of this team that you're coming to visit on Saturday afternoon? Anything defensively, whether it's a kickoff, a punt, or a defense, they are flying around they play hard they uh they're physical uh and they they arrive with bad intentions and so definitely fun to watch them as a defensive coach uh seeing those guys fly around like that and it's a good example for our, our team like them and eastern just the, how hard they play is, is i think what separates those two teams and why they're two of the top teams in the, in the conference um and so i think that's going to be a, a hard thing for our offense to be able to sustain drives because they're they create so much chaos in the backfield with the blitzes and the stunts up front and uh, so making sure that that we stay in front of the chains, making sure that we are able to move the chains and, and be able to control the ball is going to be a, a huge part uh, for our offense. And then defensively, they're, they're trying, trying to think they're trying to find their way with their quarterback, their, their backup quarterback, and they threw in the, the third string guy a little bit to run the ball. But their running game's good. They got their big up front. And so uh, they're going to kind of, kind of, again, kind of continue to, to control the ball like we're trying to do uh, and rely on that defense that they got. And one factor that I think that I don't want to say gets overlooked is I think that people understand the paramount nature of special teams, but Montana is playing as well on special teams as I've ever seen them play on special teams. Bobby Houck is a longtime special teams guru, and he says this is the most dominant kick and punt units that he's ever had. Does that show up on film? And if so, how important is that to prioritize uh, in a matchup like this? Yeah, for sure. I, I think he's absolutely right. And I, I think it carries over from the, the defense. Like I said, anybody that's that's running and tackling on that team is fun to watch. <laughs> they're flying around, they're hitting people, and they've done a great job. And I think their kickoff return team is third in the country as well. So uh, the return game's not doing too shabby either. So they're, they're hitting on all cylinders uh, on, the, on the special teams and, and defensively. And so that's, again, it's going to be a big challenge for us. And like I said, uh, hopefully we can continue to just be in these ball games and, and then find a way to win at the end. But um, our guys are going to obviously have their work cut out for them, being a great environment but we're, we're super excited to go out there and compete because i think it'll be a great experience for our guys and i've been a part of beating montana at montana and that was a, a heck of a day well that leads me to my last question then because i have covered you when you have one in montana so you guys have done this before at least you and yourself and some of your coaches have before uh so what do, how do you sort of get your team prepared for what will be a raucous environment uh certainly one of the best environments you play in all year how do you hope your team prepares for it and how do you get them ready for what awaits at washington grizzly stadium on saturday yeah, we we talked about. I mean, we we only had one Division One win when we went into Montana that that year. Uh, we had a losing season that year, um, so that kind of got our got us going for the rest of the season, being able to beat them there, and, and we knocked off number one Eastern Washington later that year, um, and kind of propelled us into our first playoff run ever. Um, so that was a huge day for us. But we 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 watched the video of of the stadium and showed them how close the sideline is to the to the wall and how on top of you they are. I tried to turn up the speaker as loud as I could so they can hear the crowd noise on third down and just kind of prepare them, just making sure that they understand what they're getting into. 
then once we get there, realize it's just 100 yards and 53 and a third uh, feet wide, and we're going to be able to to do all the same things that we do at home, uh, just in a different stadium. And so, and again, if you if you really 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 want to be a college football player, this is the days you dream of. Like going to this stadium is just as good as going into Arizona State. Um, and that's just being honest. Like it's Arizona State's a big stadium, and it, and it was rocking. But being on Montana and having those fans on top of you and and them yelling at you, it's just a different feeling. So I I'm fired up just talking about. It. I can't wait to get out there. We can't wait to watch you, Coach, and uh, I'm sure our paths will cross in the future again. But in the meantime, thanks for always giving me so much time. I've learned a tremendous amount about football from you. It's been very fun covering your program, and the guys that you have had have represented your university with great class, and it's always been awesome covering Southern Utah. So we really appreciate you joining us this week, but also for all the dozens of interviews you've given me in the past as well. It's always been fun uh, learning about and covering Southern Utah. So we really appreciate it. Thanks so much for joining us here today on ESPN Radio. I appreciate it. Thank you. Alpine Touch has been part of the fabric of Montana for more than 60 years. Decades ago, Russell Street started selling his Touch of Magic in Whitefish. Years later, Alpine Touch's all-purpose seasoning remains a favorite. It's tailgating season, and there's no better way to spice up your grill before a Grizz game than with Alpine Touch. Go to alpinetouch.com now and use the checkout code ESPN10 for a 10% discount on your order. Alpine Touch is here to keep your mouth watering all football season. Alpine Touch, Montana's special spice. Southern Utah on the horizon. So first and foremost, what do you think defines their team right now? I mean, when you watch them on film, what are some of the things that stands out? You know, they're, they're sound in what they do. Yeah. Uh, they always have been. They always will be. They're tough. They're physical. If they play hard, you know, that's who they are. And I don't, I don't see any, uh, personally don't see any let up in that. I know that for uh, a long time. And they certainly won't let up here. Nobody does coming in here. It's the Super Bowl. <laughs> Absolutely, every time. Well, they have always, uh, at least when they, since they've been in the league, it seems like they've had a very good strength and conditioning program, big, strong guys. Do you still see that element when you watch them on film? Yeah, I think generally speaking, they're a pretty mature group physically. Yes. Yeah. That's just the way it is. I think they get some returning missionaries and some of that stuff, which, which helps that cause. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're a strong-looking bunch. Quarterback Justin Miller was uh, uh, one of the breakout guys in the spring. He caught my eye a couple times watching him in the spring. So well, what do you think of his skill set? What is challenging about him in Southern Utah's offense? Well, I, I, I like their receiving core as well, yeah. and he does a good job of getting the ball to guys. You know, he's an accurate thrower, without a doubt. He's not afraid to sit in the pocket and let it develop. I think that takes some, uh, some courage, and he certainly has that. Uh, the Braxton Jones kid, the offensive tackle, he's gotten on a, a couple draft boards. I mean, he's tackle, right? yeah, he's getting a little bit of attention. So uh, I know the frame is the one thing that stands out. But I mean, as a player, do you, do you see that sort of potential in him? The fact that he is getting a lot of these you know, sort of pro accolades. Yeah, he lo- he looks the part. Um, I'm anxious to see him in person, frankly. He's definitely a good player. Uh, defensively, uh, what do you think of their front? And uh, I know that they have the kid in the middle who's a hard name to pronounce but hard to miss when you watch them play football. Yeah, their, their defensive front's uh, the strength of their defense. They're big bodies. Um, they're hard to move. They do a good job. What's next for you guys' run game? Uh, what do you guys need to do to get it uh, kicked into high gear? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, we need to play cleanly, you know, not uh, not miss at the point of attack, certainly, and then – uh, we've got to get our running backs uh, seeing it properly. If we do that, we should be successful running it. Uh, second to last home game of the year. So uh, what do you expect, or I guess uh, what, what would be your message to Grizz Nation to come out to this thing on Saturday? Pack them in. We aren't going to be home for a few weeks. So get every uh, every seat filled, and let's have a good time Saturday. 
At Blackfoot Communications, our mission is to connect people, businesses, and communities to their networks in Montana and beyond. Through Blackfoot sponsorships, local ambassadors, and public programs, we support initiatives such as the Emergency Broadband Benefit, Fiber Deployments, and Community Events. For information on our commitment to improving our communities with fast, reliable, and secure internet access, go to blackfootcommunications.com slash news. What up, Montana? Welcome back. It's Nuanas Now, ESPN Radio, as well as SWX Montana Television. As I sit here in the Northwest Motorsport Studio, my cell phone's ringing right now. I can't answer it because I'm talking to you. Uh, but this is fun. Joe Glenn is calling me right now. This is great. Can't wait to talk to Joe Glenn. We're doing our 20th anniversary of the 2001 National Champion Grizzly Podcast Series, our latest of Grizz greats. And of course, we got to have Coach Glenn. Powder River Letter Buck, baby. One of the great coaches in the history of the Big Sky Conference. So we'll get a time set up with him uh, and uh, get that podcast episode out. I bet you that one's going to get a couple downloads because Joe Glenn, one of the great storytellers of all, of all time. Speaking of Grizz football, time now for our Grizz Star of the Week presented by Bob Ward Sports and Outdoors. October is almost finished. November's on the horizon. I know rifle season opened last week. Skiing is on the horizon as well. So if you need any ski gear or any hunting gear or maybe both, Bob Ward's Sports and Outdoors, your one-stop shop. We've been doing this all season long, but we're happy now to welcome in our first Missoula product. Actually, that's not true. Levi Janicaro joined us uh, earlier this year, but uh, Missoula Sentinel product, our first Sentinel Spartan and current Grizz receiver, Mitch Roberts, joins us now on the Rangers Brothers RV phone line as part of our Grizz Star of the Week. Mitch, what's up, my man? How you doing? Good. Thanks, Coulter. Thanks for having me. Of course, man. First and foremost, let's talk about the most recent performance. Montana goes to Idaho, a 34-14 victory over the Vandals, and uh, an impressive one to be sure. Another rivalry win in the feather of the cap for the Grizzlies as well. Uh, I don't think that Montana's lost to Idaho since probably your entire lifetime, Mitch. So uh, as somebody that uh, <laughs> grew up in Missoula, though, I mean, when you guys go beat the Vandals, what's it mean to you? I know it's kind of a renewed rivalry. It's only been on the horizon here for the last couple of years for you guys as players, but uh, a little extra meaning when you beat Idaho. What did you guys think after the win on Saturday? Yeah, of course. It's a it's a huge win for us, and I just thought overall it was just a great team win. Uh, offense, defense, special teams, we all just put it all together, and it especially makes it a little bit more special that Idaho, big rival of ours. So, yeah, it was special, and it was fun to go over to Moscow and beat those guys. Did you get a chance to hold the little brown stein? I did, yes, yes. Give it a kiss, too. You got to love Glad it, Glad we uh, were able to hold on to it, yeah. Well, it, it's always... Funny because in the in the um, rivalry game with the Bobcats, the Great Divide Trophy, that sucker is huge. So it usually has to be the big yeah. boys that go get that thing off the thing. Little Brown style, a little more manageable for the skill guys to get their hands on. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not as heavy, that's for sure, yeah. <laughs> well, you yourself had an outstanding afternoon. Uh, seven catches, 145 yards, a breakout game for you, and it seemed like the Grizz offense got rolling uh, with a little more rhythm, a little more flow. So just take us through it. What sort of growth and improvement have you seen the last couple of weeks, and how are you guys able to turn a corner in Moscow on Saturday? I thought everything uh, was clicking really good on offense, and uh, guys were stepping up, making plays. I thought um, Chris Brown did a really good job getting the ball out to our receivers, and um, and then our freshman running backs stepping in and making some plays in the run game. Uh, and then we just put it all together, and it was fun to go out there and uh, make some plays. 
I thought that Grady Bennett, who does the color commentary for a lot of the Grizz games, he's the head coach at Kalispell Glacier as well. He's, he said something that really actually put in perspective what the running back situation in Montana has been like. He said, hey, I remember a year ago last year scouting for Junior Bergen while he's playing quarterback at Billings Senior. Now the kid's playing running back. So... Uh, a position that I don't even think he expected he would be playing, but he's become kind of the number one guy with so many guys out. Where are we at with Junior Bergen? What have you thought of his ability to step up and fill that role for your offense? No, he's been awesome. I mean, we knew going into fall camp this year that Junior was going to be stud in the wide receiver room, and then we uh, had a few backs drop out, and he's just done an incredible job stepping up and making plays for us, and I think he's also enjoying running back too. So um, obviously he's doing very well and has having some success so um yeah all around he's just been doing a great job and i think all our backs too so Mitch Roberts joining us here on Nuanas Now. It's uh our Grizz Star of the Week presented by Bob Wars Sports and Outdoors and uh Mitch, let's talk about the quarterbacks. You developed a lot of chemistry with Cam Humphrey because it was such a long offseason, multiple different spring balls and a fall camp and all that. And uh, Chris Brown, he's been around and practicing and everything, but uh, it's always tough when you're a freshman that gets thrown into the fold. You're a former quarterback yourself. So what have you thought of just the evolution of Chris Brown? It seems like each week he's become more comfortable, but how have you seen him improve? What sort of things do you think have helped him uh, as he continues to lead the Grizz offense from under center? Yeah, I think week in and week out, he's just progressed so much and, um, just looking confident in his throws and decision-making. And I think the timing uh, with his us receivers and uh, getting the ball out to us has been great. And I think that's just built a lot of confidence with him, which is you can see it out there that he's been playing awesome for us. So, yeah. Let's talk about you and your journey. You, you yourself, former high school quarterback. So, first of all, let's talk about the Spartans. Missoula Sentinel's rolling right now, 18 in a row, dating back to last year. So, you're a Sentinel alum. I know you were sort of on the front side of the building of the program and they got the Spartans in the playoffs for the first time in a little while when you were a senior. But what have you thought of just the way that they've continued to build and continue to improve and how much pride you got right now being Sentinel Spartan? It's awesome. It's crazy how far the program has come since I've played, and uh, they're just doing a great job. I mean, um, state title last year, and now they're hopefully going to be able to do it again if they keep it up and keep improving and playing like they are right now. So, yeah, as an alum, it's just awesome to see, and I'm super proud of all the coaches and uh, players that are over there. For you, as a guy who played quarterback in high school, what's the transition been like to receiver? I know you've been doing it for years now, but what was the biggest challenge when you first started? You know, just I think the most biggest challenge was like the footwork and um, running routes. And then once I got that down, I felt like I naturally kind of had somewhat good hands, but it was uh, definitely the running the route part that was a little bit weird for me. But Coach P's, uh, he got me right uh, in improving in that aspect. So, yeah, I'd say that. Brent Pease, when you go watch practice, uh, quite a demanding coach, uh, we will say. So (laughs) when you were first acclimated to college ball, though, when he first became your receivers coach, what was it like acclimating to that coaching style? Because uh, Brent Pease, he likes likes it to be right. He likes it to be as close to perfect as possible. Yeah, he holds us to a high standard, and we all know that. And we know what the standard is in our wide receiver room. And it's just been awesome. I mean, Coach Pease has so much coaching experience and playing experience, and it just is an honor to learn from him uh, day in and day out in the wide receiver room. And I've just grown so much as a player throughout the years being under him, and it's been a really great experience for me and pretty awesome. We'll talk about uh, the rest of this season. Then you guys are sort of entering the stretch run here. Just two more home games left, starting with Southern Utah. I know you're not really looking beyond that game. So uh, how was practice today? What do you think of just the sort of the vibe of the team? And what are you thinking about Southern Utah on the horizon here with the Thunderbirds coming to town on Saturday? 
Yeah, it's been awesome this uh, this week. We're just taking it one day at a time, um, prepping for Southern Utah, who's a great team and is uh, going to come in here and uh, give us a good run for our money. So we got to be ready and uh, ready to go. Last couple things for you. I know you, your family has great athletic lineage and great uh, Missoula roots. So uh, what's up with your brother? Where's Benny at right now? Is he, is he around or what, what's Ben up to these days? You know, Ben has uh, not been doing too much. He's just uh, been working, and, uh, you know, he goes to every Grizz game every Saturday hunting um, a little bit. But, um, yeah, he, luckily enough, he's uh, been staying in Missoula, so I get to see him quite a bit. So he gets to watch me play, and that's been pretty pretty awesome. Well, super cool. And uh, I also heard that your sister might have gotten married uh, to a bobcat. I don't know how you let this happen, Mitch. Yeah, you know, that, that aspect of it's pretty unfortunate, and uh, the rivalry in the, the family household is, now exists. But, yeah, no, it, it's, uh, that is true. Uh, if I can ever give you any, any advice, I only know this because I know Jake Bluskin, who was a quarterback for the Bobcats, as good of a quarterback Jake Bluskin ever was, you do not play him for in golf for money. I promise you, you will lose your money. Jake Bluskin is one of the best golfers i ever seen, man. Do not play him on the golf course. I promise you, you will leave with no money in your pocket. Oh, trust me. I golf with him all the time. And he is very, very impressive. So I know what you're talking about, and I, I know not to play him for money. So I'm sorry about that, though. <laughs> hey, I should have known better. Hey, Mitch, we appreciate yeah. it, man. Thanks so much for joining us, and the best of luck with the rest of your season. Thanks, Coulter. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.